Now this time of year, it's very, very common, isn't it, for uh, Christians to moan, (laughs) for Christians to complain about the society in which we live. Isn't that right? It's very common for us to complain about what we perceive to be Christless Christmases. And you heard this, you know, we moan about the fact that society, the culture that we live in, buys into Christmas 100%, doesn't it? But it does so without thinking, giving even a second thought to what Christmas is all about and the church. And Christians, we like to moan about this, these Christless Christmases. Well, this morning, uh, I do not want us to think about the society or the culture out there. No. Instead, this morning, I want us uh, to think about you and me in here. Because is this not true? That actually, very often, you and I are guilty of doing the very same thing that we complain about in other people. That we are sometimes guilty, are we not, of getting really into the Christmas spirit, but without considering Christ. And I think if, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian in here, you, you can, if you're honest with yourself, you can, you can see that to be true. Isn't that right? We can focus on the shopping, and we can focus on the wrapping the presents, and getting the Chris, kids ready for their, you know, for the Christmas play. We get into all of that with actually, without giving any proper time, and any due consideration, to the incarnation of the Lord Jesus. Well, just now in here, I want us to do something that is actually really, I think, quite simple. You know, straightforward. That before we ramp everything up towards the 25th of this month, I want you and I just to stop. Like in amongst all this frenzied activity of our lives just now, just you and I to stop here, to look at God's word, to look at Luke and to reflect on what truly is the very heart of Christmas. And as we do so, the first thing that we need to appreciate here is the curiosity of a virgin's conception. The curiosity of a virgin's conception. Okay? Now, if you're a regular at LCPC, you know that very often when I begin a sermon, I begin with a question. You may be even sick of it, to be honest. Very often I'll begin by saying of a section of scripture, what is this we're dealing with here? What is it? You've heard me say that before. What is this that we're dealing with here? Well, wouldn't you agree that because this morning, out of nowhere, you and I are just jumping into the middle of a chapter in Luke's gospel? That is all the more important a question for us to pose, isn't it? So, guess what I'm going to say? What is it? Luke... 1, 34 to 38. What's this? What is this that we're dealing with here? Well, I've used this before, and I promise you, I will use it again. But you've heard, friends, haven't you, of Spot the Difference cartoons. You know what I'm talking about. Boys and girls. Yes, there's smiles immediately. The boys and girls know what I'm talking about. Spot the Difference cartoons, right? We know what we're talking about. Where you have two almost identical pictures, don't you? And they're set side by side. And what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to study these, see the similarities, and then we're trying to work out what the differences are. Isn't that right, boys and girls? Spot the difference. Cartoons. Well, friends, isn't that what we're dealing with? Have a look at your page. What do you see? We've got here two almost identical birth announcement stories. One to Zechariah. One to Mary, 
And you see what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to recognize all of the similarities. Why? Why? So that the differences in these birth announcement stories will become abundantly clear to us. And I want to ask you this. Did you see some of the similarities in the two readings? Did you know? Did you pick up on them? Did you? In both, what happens? An angel appears, right? That's the obvious thing. To Zechariah, to Mary. What else happens? The angel in both announces an impending birth. Did you notice this one? In both, the recipients of the angelic message are said to be troubled. In both, it is a son that is promised. In both, did you also notice this one? That son is promised in both to be great. And I'm telling you this for nothing. I could go on and I could go on and I could go on and I could go on. Here's the point though. It is with one of these similarities that our section begins. Have a look at verse 34. Have a look at verse 34. What do you see? Now remember with Zechariah, the angel comes and how does he respond? Zechariah asks the angel a question. What does Mary do? Do you see it in verse 34? Doesn't she do the same thing? Do you see it? And what's the question, friends? Do you see the question? Look at the question. Think through the question. She says to the angel, she says, how, I'm going to be with child, how will, uh, how will this be? Now, this is what I want you to think about. I want you to consider just how unusual and a strange question that seems on first reading. Do you see what I mean? That that's a strange question? Think about it. At this point here, Mary hasn't been told that there will be anything unusual about the conception of the birth. You see, at this point in time, not explicitly anyway, she's not been told by Gabriel that there will be anything unusual about the conception, about the birth. So do you see how strange it is that she says, how can this be that I will be with a child? I mean, we're looking at Mary and we're thinking, but you're going to be betrothed and you're going to be married. Surely you know how these things work. Surely you know about the birds and the bees. How can this be? Surely. This is a strange question. We think, follow me though. This question actually makes perfect sense when you realize this. That there Mary must have realized there was an immediacy in what the angel was saying to her. Do you understand that? That when the angel Gabriel speaks to her, what does Mary realize? She realizes he means now. He means now. He means I am going to be with child before the marriage. Before I am in any way intimate with Joseph. He means I'm going to be pregnant now. So we get it, don't we? We get why she's asking, how can this possibly be? In fact, don't you agree with this? This is the sort of question our society and all humanity should be asking at this time of year. Because what do we know to be true? There was a virgin, pure as the driven snow, a virgin, and she was pregnant. How can this be, friends? How can this be? Well, I think we learned two things from the answer uh, that the angel Gabriel gives to Mary. She asks, how can this be? This is the first thing we must state. Do you know what? We do not know exactly how this conception came about. You see, um, 
Lots of people deny the virgin birth, don't they? I would imagine there's people in here just now who deny the virgin birth. It's certainly true of people in your families and your friends. Is that not right? People who think this is just a myth. This idea of a virgin birth is nonsense. Isn't that right? But what we have to understand is that traditionally, some people denied this event because of apparent similarities it has with ancient myth. So maybe you follow the idea, do you? Some people are saying this, that Luke doesn't actually expect us to believe that this was fact. That what Luke is doing is actually drawing very deliberate parallels with an ancient myth that spoke of a god coming down to earth and lying with, sleeping with a woman. And I wonder this morning if you see the very obvious problem with that thesis. Do you see what it is? Luke draws no such parallel. In fact, isn't it true? There is not even a hint of sexual intimacy in the story. There's no hint of sexual activity. Like there's no hint of physicality, no hint of intimacy. Isn't in fact isn't it also true that Luke hardly says anything about the actual mechanism of the conception at all? What does he say? You notice it? All he says is that God overshadowed Mary, an image that seems to conjure up that picture of the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters in the creation. Yes, God overshadowed Mary. What does that tell you? It tells you hardly anything. You see it, do you? You see the point? This event at Christmas, we must understand, is most mysterious. Scripture comes to us and it throws a cloak of secrecy over this event. It's enigmatic, isn't it? It's all mysterious. But then a second thing we must state is that, friends, though we know there's mystery here, we know for sure that this incarnation was all a work of our God. Would you do this? Would you look at verse 35? Look at how clearly it's stated. Look at verse 35. Mary says, how is this? And the angel says, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, dear woman. The Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know some of you this morning. I, I don't know where some of you stand spiritually. And do you know what? You may have heard that truth that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. You may have heard that a million times. Have you? At Christmas time, this is the work of God. I don't care. I don't care. All I care about is that just now, right here, you again linger on that truth. Would you do it? Would you ponder the magnificence of what we're dealing with there for a moment. What what are we learning happened at this point in time? Think of it. That God himself, the creator God was, now listen to this word, he was personally involved in the working of Mary's womb. God involved in this. Isn't it stunning? That this child to be born to Mary had no human father in a biological sense. This pregnancy that we're dealing with here, it was completely, purely, 100% a work of divine agency. 
I think we should marvel at that. Do we marvel at it? That just as the Holy Spirit would go on to work at Jesus' atonement, just as the Holy Spirit would go on to work at His resurrection, what's happening here, even at our Lord's conception, the Holy Spirit of God playing the active role, the critical role, isn't it beautiful? A virgin was with child, and it was a child of God. And I say because of all of this, friends, surely what we are coping with and dealing with here, it must impact how you and I live over the next six, seven, eight days and beyond. And surely you see what I mean. We're going to be busy this week. And you're going to be wrapping presents and you're maybe going to be singing some carols and you're going to be cooking and you're going to be shopping and there's going to be the office party and you're going to be getting your kids ready for their nativity play. In amongst that, surely every single one of us, we must find time to bow and to bow in reverent praise because what is this that happened at Christmas in a unique way? Uniquely, but in a mysterious way. God himself, he created a child. Isn't it stunning? So we see the curiosity of a virgin's conception. The second thing we see here is the consequences of a virgin's conception. Now, as a minister, a pastor, and because of that job, a student of God's word, I think one of my favorite words in the English language is the word, therefore. I love that word. Maybe you can, maybe you can see why. You know, let's say I'm in a study and I'm, I'm trying to wrestle with, let's go for Romans. Okay, so Paul's letter to Rome. And Paul builds up this intricate, detailed argument through chapters of Romans. And I'm getting really into it. And he's drawn me right in. And you get to the climax of the argument. And what do I read? Therefore, and you can see it, can you? i now on the edge of my seat awaiting the consequences and the results of all that he's said. Right? You see it, do you? Well, I think, honestly... What you've got in front of you is one of the most precious uses of the word therefore in all of the Bible. Because you think about the scenario here. Mary has just been told that God is going to work in a unique way. That the Holy Spirit is going to work within her. And what do you read? You read therefore. And so do this morning feel the tension do you see the weight of all of this? You're just about to learn in Scripture what? The consequences of this divine agency and this divine miracle. We're just about to learn what all of this, the purposes of this great act. So, so, what do we want to know? What comes after the therefore? What are the consequences here? Well, I think, as before, you've got two things you need to think about it. And you'll see the first in verse 35. Have a look at verse 35. So we're told there'll be this great, wonderful work of the Holy Spirit within Mary. Therefore, 
Now read on. What's the consequence? Read on. Therefore, verse 35, therefore, the child to be born will be called the son of whom? Do you see? What's the consequence? This child will be the son of God. Now, listen to me, please. Please let us be careful. Please let us be careful here. See, isn't this true that that, that very often we are so familiar with some terms in the Bible, what happens? If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know the danger, don't you? We're so familiar with some terms, we can read a portion of Scripture and we can fly by certain terms, can't we? And we don't give it due care and consideration. You see the danger, right? And I am desperate this morning that we do not do that here. Because you understand this, do you? That that term, Son of God, has a wide, wide variety of uses in the Bible. You understand that, don't you? In the Old Testament, now follow me here, in the Old Testament, isn't it true that angels were sometimes called the sons of God? They were. Heavenly beings called the sons of God. Who else? Sometimes kings were called sons of God. God's representatives on earth. David, son of God. Isn't it also true that we, in the New Testament, the people of God, children, Christians, we are called the sons of God. Isn't that right? A wide variety of uses. Now, here we go. You understand, do you, that none of those is the reason that this child growing within Mary was to receive this grand and great title. You understand it, don't you? You see what's being said. Do you? That because this child had no human father, because this child was a work of divine agency, who was the child? What would the child be? He would be divine. That in a true sense, in a real sense, but in an ontological sense, this little baby was the son, the son of God. Now, at risk of me sounding like a broken record, listen, be very careful again. Because you know what could happen here? We could fall and slip into a historical heresy. Maybe you see what I mean, do you? Some people throughout the years, they believe that what's happening in Luke chapter 1 is that the Son of God is being created. That's what some people think. People today believe that. They believe that what was happening within Mary, that the Holy Spirit is actually bringing into being the second person of the Trinity. Bringing in, creating the Son of God. And I am desperate that we do not make that mistake. So I'm going to give you a term. And I sincerely want you to hear the term, even the children, to hear the term to grab the term and to take it into your heart and never as long as you live forget this term that what we are confronted with in Luke chapter 1 is what is called the hypostatic union the hypostatic union and it is something so beautiful and it is something so miraculous that what was happening within Mary is that the Holy Spirit was joining Two things together in her womb. Isn't that stunning? That the Holy Spirit was joining the newly created human nature of Jesus. 
and joining that to the already existing eternal nature of Christ. You're beginning to marvel. You see it, the Spirit taking what is new Jesus' humanity and welding it to, affixing it to, joining it to what is all the eternal divinity of the Christ. You see, two natures in one person, the hypostatic union, and wow, we are right to gasp in awe. Because friends, do you see what that means? It means that this child soon to be born to Mary was a child like None other. This child was a man. This child was human. But you understand the logic of the argument, do you? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit, because Mary was overshadowed by the power of the Almighty, what is this embryo growing within her? What is this little baby? Do you understand? This baby was God. Now we like to reflect at this time of year. Do I love to reflect at this time of year. I think it is a valuable thing for us to do as as a congregation, but as Christians to look back on the last 12 months. So, how was 2017, friends? Was it a good year? Was it a difficult year? I'm sure that we have all gone through perplexing and confusing events in 2017, have we? I'm also pretty sure that none of us have gone through so disorientating an event as this one we're reading off here. And I want you to do this. I want you to imagine what this would have been like for that poor woman, Mary. (laughs) you with me? I mean, think about it. Is this not disorientating? Not only... Is she confronted with an angel? But she's just heard that she's soon going to give birth to God. It's a lot to take in, isn't it? So here's what I reckon. I reckon, yes, she's asking how, but what else is Mary asking, friends? Isn't she asking why? She's asking that. And she's asking, you, oh Lord, are going to work within me And the Son of God is going to come amongst us. Why, God, are you doing this? What is your purpose here, oh God? Now, that takes you to the second consequence. Look back at verse 35. Because I was naughty, was I not? I missed out a a word in verse 35. Did you pick up on it? Look at it. Verse 35. The Holy Spirit will work. Therefore, what's the consequence? Therefore, the child to be born will be called... What's the word, friends? Friends, say it. Holy. This child will be holy. And I wonder, above all things this morning, I wonder if you grasp the gravity and the significance, the importance of that tiny little four-letter word to you. This baby's going to be holy. What did we look at last week as a congregation? What did we pray about a moment ago? The total depravity of man. Lost. All of us. Sinful of nature. All of us inheriting corruption. Yes, from Adam's first fall. And what is this? What do we have now? 
Because there was no human fatherhood. Because there was a divine work of grace, a work of the Holy Spirit. What do we have here? Yes, one is man. Yes, he is human. But you understand, soon to be born is one without that stain of sin, without that corruption. And surely that then answers Mary's question. Because God, why were you doing this? Why is this Christmas miracle happening? Why? You see, it was all of it for you. All of it for you, Christian friends, as you sit here in London City Presbyterian Church. This, all of this was for you. In fact, perhaps it is Calvin who says it best. Calvin says, this little baby was born holy to make others holy And isn't that it? Isn't that what it's all about? That God was providing for us. That God was sending into the world a representative righteous life. Someone who's going to be able to live that perfect pure life that you and I cannot live, will not live, do not live. You see it, don't you? And don't you within your heart rejoice. Because what do you know as a Christian? Do you know Christmas isn't just about Santa? And it's not, and it's not just about Christmas songs and sleigh bell rides. What is it all about? It is about God sending to us a saviour. A saviour from our wretchedness and our wickedness and our evil. A saviour has been sent to us. And what sort of saviour is he? Because there was a work of the Holy Spirit, he is the Holy Son of Almighty God. So we see the curiosity. We see the consequences. We end with the courage of a virgin's conception. The courage. And I think, as we close this morning, I think sincerely we could focus on what is... A a beautiful thing. What is the reassuring grace of God? You see what I mean from the text, do you? I mean, Mary must have had a million things running through her mind. And what does God do? Isn't it delightful? To assure Mary, he tells her at that point of Elizabeth. Isn't it lovely? To confirm to her, to reinforce that this angelic word is is true and it's real, he tells her that her elderly relative, that she too is is soon miraculously going to give birth. Don't you see the tender love of God there? Isn't he careful, caring towards Mary? We could focus on God's reassuring grace. I I don't want to. (laughs) I think we need to do this. We need to end by considering Mary's overall reaction to everything she's hearing and seeing. And to do that, I need you to do this with me. I need you to try and remember what I said at the start of the sermon. It was a long time ago, maybe. You remember what it was? That these two birth announcement stories are similar. Why? Zechariah and Mary, why are they similar? To highlight 
where they diverge. And would you not, as a congregation, agree with me that the place that they most obviously diverge is in their respective responses? Because, friends, did you notice when Adrian came up and read that section, did you notice how Zechariah responded to the angel? What did he do? Isn't it true that he doubted the angel? Isn't that the dominant characteristic of Zechariah's response? He doubted what the angel said, and because of that, he was struck dumb, wasn't he? He doubted. But don't you see? Isn't it entirely different with the mother of our Lord? You see, it doesn't she respond with relief, wonder, but faith. In fact, isn't what she does, doesn't she do this? She acquiesces, she yields to this plan of Almighty God. Isn't that right? And that's beautiful. I love that, that she willingly enters into this plan. And I want you to focus on this. I want you to see how heroic that submission is. Isn't it valiant? Isn't it heroic on Mary's part? Because think about what this plan involves. This involves this woman willingly agreeing to become pregnant out of wedlock in the world of first century Judaism. And you know as well as I do that was a fearful thing for this woman to agree to be, isn't it? Isn't it? Think about what this plan may involve for Mary. She's going to face... Oh, being names, shame. Think about it for this poor girl. She doesn't know what her, her betrothed is going to say about this. She doesn't know if she is just about to lose the man that she loves. But she knows this. There's going to be ridicule ahead. And there's going to be abuse. And there's going to be all sorts of harassment for me. And yet, despite all of that uncertainty and all of that misery, what does she say? What does she cry out in verse 37? She says, let it be to me. According to your word, oh God, don't you agree? Isn't that the most courageous and startling and brave thing? Saying, let it come. If it's your will, oh God, let it come. Whatever it is, bring it on. And I think this morning that there should be the prayer that echoes amongst the people of God at London City Presbyterian Church. And surely, friends, you see what I mean? As we go into this Christmas week. But more than that. As we go into a new year. Should we not follow after Mary? Shouldn't we not be saying in 2018. Whatever it is Lord you want. Whatever it is. Let it be to me according to your word. Should we not offer ourselves entirely unreservedly to the service of God's great name? Because, isn't it true, friends? When you look at Luke chapter 1, one thing is abundantly clear. Our God is good to his people. What has he done for us? As he did all those centuries ago with Abraham and Moriah, with Isaac. What do we see in the womb of Mary? God has provided for us. A lamb, a lamb that is going to go on and die and die 
in our place. May it be that over this week, every single one of us in here, in amongst all of this fun festivity, let's make sure we pause and we praise. Because as the church of Christ, we know there is a Christmas miracle, isn't there? Do you see the extent of it? Do you feel it? Do you marvel at it? For your soul, what has happened? The everlasting, eternal, creator God has become a child. Let us pray.